The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion's making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. Remain standing if you're able to. Second Kings is the text that we're going to take. Chapter 7. While you're turning there, um, I had uh, another message to preach tonight. Got to the church and had notes for you. And, um, you know, it's really something to work on a message and have the Lord say, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know what the deal is. It's just, I think we're prideful or something. Because I got irritated. You know, it's not good to get irritated at the Lord. You I mean, you work on something for hours, and you're like, yeah. And he's like, no. I'm like, how couldn't you have told me that a couple hours ago, you know? Um, but I'm convinced that the Lord is, um, you know, he's just moving us along. And, and we just need to be plot. Maybe I'll have that for some other time. Meanwhile, there's wonderful notes printed out. And if you would like a copy of those, I'm not going to preach on them at all. Um, but the topic is the same. 2 Kings chapter 7, we're going to read from verse 1, and um, we'll see how far we get to go. Maybe we'll read the whole chapter, since some of you have might not get in the Word yet today. All right, you ready? 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 1. Then Elijah said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a sale of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, Two sayers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, in, quote, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate. And they said one to another, Why are we sitting here until we die? Verse 4. And if we say we'll enter this city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. And if they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, well, we'll only die. That's quite a, quite a predicament they're in. Verse 5. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused an army, the army of the Assyrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great army. Isn't that crazy? God can take four leprous dudes and make their steps sound like a major army. So they said one to another, look, the king of Israel is hired, has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys. And they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went to one tent and ate and drank, carried from its silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them 
Then they came back and entered another tent, carried some, of, some from there also, and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, we're not doing right. This day this is a day of good news. Everybody say good news. Good news. For, and if we remain silent, if we wait until morning light, some punishment might come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied, and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me... Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we're hungry. Therefore, they've gone out of the camp and hid themselves in the field, saying, when they come out of their city, we shall go catch them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants answered and said, please let several men take five of the remaining horses. That's because they were eating them all. There's only five left. Well, I don't know if there's five left, but they're the only remaining ones. Five remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may be either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel from those who are consumed. So let us send them and see. Verse 14. Therefore, they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went after them in the Jordan, and indeed the road was full of garments and weapons that the Syrians had thrown on the way in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king, and the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And the king had appointed an officer in whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. But when the people trampled him in the gate and he died, just as the man of God had said, he spoke to the king and he came down to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's awesome. Move in power tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you may be seated. I'd encourage you to take notes. I think there might be some things of value that we'll share with you from God's Word tonight. This Friday, we have our 11th annual prophetic conference. We first started the prophetic conference here in Alaska in 2005. So this is our 11th annual prophetic conference. We've had it every year in February, except one year we had it in June, and it snowed. So we figured we'll just leave it in February with no snow this year. Nevertheless, the prophetic conference has been life-changing for many who have participated in those here in Alaska. Overall, church-wide, we've had it since 1995. 1995, on the island of Maui, we had a prophetic conference. There was 400 registered guests, and I went to that myself. I was relatively new in the church, I didn't register, but I went to the night services because some dude called me up at my house and said, hey, man, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, probably going to go surfing or something. He said, well, you should go to this conference. I said, really? He said, oh, you should go to the conference. 
And somehow I managed to go. It changed my life, and I've made every one of them since then over 21 years of prophetic conferences. Now, when you hear about a prophetic conference, some might think that, you know, you come, somebody comes with all these charts and talks about eschatology and the fulfillment of prophecy, and that's a wonderful type of conference to have. That's not the kind I'm talking about. I'm talking about the power of the word of the Lord spoken over a congregation or a group of people or even over individuals. And so this Friday, we have our 11th annual. You say, what's the big deal about the prophetic conference? It'll change your life. The prophetic word will change your life. So why should I attend the prophetic conference? Because you need a change. We all need change. We all need more of God. Come on, raise your hand if you, come on, you need more of the Lord. Amen. One more favor. Which one? I've got, come on, I've got almost, not eight, I don't think I have eight track tapes, but I've got, I've got cassettes. I've got a prophetic word every, personal prophetic words every year. I get them when I go here and there. And you know, somebody, what's the big deal? It's a big deal that God will encourage you, strengthen you, and comfort you. The, the power of the prophetic word is amazing. Let's look at this text here, if we can, the background. King of Joram, King is Joram, the son of King Ahab. It's Ahab's son, Ahab and Jezebel. And Israel has been attacked by the Syrian army that, with the capital city, Samaria, being under, under siege. And famine has taken over the land. And they're all dying. Everybody's dying. And uh, the king blames this prophet. If you go and you read the whole all the background, the king has basically blamed the prophet that all of it's taken place. And as a result of blaming the prophet, uh, he basically loses his faith in God. It's a horrible thing to lose faith in God. I've had that happen. It was a choice that I made. It ended up in a horrible, painful scenario, which I won't uh, share with you tonight. I've shared it at other times. I, I just thought in my heart, I'll just briefly, very briefly, I had purpose in my heart. I knew that God was going to do this particular thing for me. And so when he didn't do it, when I thought or I knew that he was supposed to do it, then I said, well, then you just don't love me then. And I said, I'm not going to serve you. Forget you. And I turned my back. Bad idea. It was eight months of a living hell on earth. And somehow, thank God for people praying, especially my mother. I came back to the Lord and I've been uh, walking with him since then. But this king, he loses faith in God. And the word of the Lord comes to Elisha. And it is quite a word. By this time tomorrow, everything's going to change by this time tomorrow. Now that is a word that is absolutely phenomenal. If you're in the midst of a famine and everybody's dying, and they've eaten all the horses and there's only five left. You have nowhere to go. You're completely besieged, and death is right at your doorstep. You're concerned about your little babies, about your children. about You're concerned about everything. The king doesn't know what to do, and a massive army is outside your walls, and you've got nowhere to go, nowhere to run. And the prophet says, by this time tomorrow. And as he brings this word of the Lord, the, the, king, the king's servant is there, and the king is leaning on the servant. You know, he's kind of like leaning on. And the servant, after he hears the word of the Lord from Elisha, says, Dude, that's totally impossible. That's my breakdown. He says, Man, even if God opened windows of heaven, could this can this thing be? You're a fool. You're an idiot. Forget it. He ridicules the word. And judgment is pronounced 
on this servant of the king. And he says, not only is it going to happen slick, but you're going to be, you're going to die. You'll see it, but you're going to die. And so judgment is pronounced onto him. Flash forward to four lepers in the text. Now, they say to themselves, why, why sit here till we die? One of those lepers is Gehazi. How many of you know who Gehazi is? It is said, we don't know for certain, but it is said by scholars, rabbinic scholars, that, that Gehazi was the guy who was going to receive the mantle from Elisha, but he, he didn't. He went after Naaman's money. Do you remember Naaman, the big dipper? Remember Naaman? Naaman comes with leprosy. And he offers money, and, and he says, no, just go dip in the Jordan and just go back home. Naaman gets upset, but eventually he obeys. But he rides off with all the money that he was going to give the prophet. He was going to give him this huge offering. And he rides away with it, and Gehazi takes off. He's like, man, my master's a fool. And he runs after the Syrian, and he catches up to Naaman, and he says, yeah, you know, he, like, changed his mind. We'll take it. We'll take it. And he takes the money, and he goes, and he hides it. As he returns to, the, to Elisha, Elisha says, did not my spirit go with you? Is this the time for money? It's a profound text, because there is a time to receive, but then there's a time not to receive. And apparently, that was not the time. And so, he says, Naaman's leprosy is going to rest on you now. And it is said that this is, Naaman is one of the lepers that's here in this text. So these four lepers decide, well, we're going to die anyway, so we better just do something. Anybody ever been there besides me? You've been like, man, we've got nothing to lose. I'm losing here. I could possibly lose if I go, but I'm going to sit here until I die. I'm going to get going. And so they get going, and God uses them to bring about the word of the Lord, which is amazing to me because the word of the Lord is true. The word of the Lord his word comes and breaks in with light, breaks in with truth, as Psalm 119 says. His word is a lamp unto our feet, a light upon our path, and the power of the prophetic word is beyond anything you can imagine. It'll transform your life. And it's important to hear that. The text speaks to us a number of things. One, the word of the Lord needs to be precious to you. Are you telling me, Pastor, that there's people today that can prophesy over my life, an accurate word, foreknowledge or foretelling? The answer is yes, even here. Be surprised if you want to. How many of you have been impacted by a prophetic word in your life? I mean, it's just like God spoke to you, read your mail, and you're like, whoa. The word of the Lord needs to be precious. Listen, not only the word, this is the word. Add anything to it, take anything away from it, get the curses of the book. It's in the book of, Gen book of Revelation right at the very end. But God uses prophets, and you'll see it in Acts 13. You see Old Testament prophets. You see New Testament prophets. You, you see uh, uh, Philip, the evangelist, after he has revival in Samaria, and he goes to minister to an Ethiopian eunuch who was to, over the treasury of Candace, Queen Candace in Ethiopia. He's snatched away and sent to another place. We see later on that he has four daughters, and they're prophetesses. The prophetic gift is, prophecy is, is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you'll see it in the New Testament. The, Apostles Paul, the Apostle Paul's life was marked with the prophetic word. Marked with the gifts of the Spirit. And yours should be too. 
That is normal New Testament Christianity. It's not above the word, but God can speak to you for your encouragement, for your comfort, for your exhortation, building your faith. Come on, say amen. And I believe that God, you know, God desires to speak to us. He's a speaking God. So prophecy, let me just give you some scripture. The purpose of prophecy. Why have a prophetic conference? Well, there's a purpose in it. It's for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets. You'll see in Ephesians. But I want you to turn to Acts chapter 15, verse 32. If you're able to put it on the screen, oh man, in the media booth. Acts 15, verse 32. Now, Judas and Silas themselves being prophets. What were they? They were prophets. This is the New Testament. Also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. They used a prophetic gift to encourage, to strengthen, to exhort, as it says. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14, 3. Going to look at some scripture tonight. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. But he who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. But he who prophesies speaks edification and ex exhortation and comfort to men. The NIV says it this way. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Everybody say strengthening, strengthening. encouragement, encouragement. And, comfort. and comfort. Wow. You didn't say, wow. No, but anyway, that's amazing. I mean, does anybody ever need strengthening? I do. Does anybody ever need comfort? I do. Come on, anybody need just, you know, you just need God to give you some bam. So that's the purpose of New Testament prophecy is to encourage the strength and the comfort. Its operation is under the unction of the Spirit of God. Many scriptures there. It's according to one's faith. God gives talents. Matthew 25 talks about that. Joel 2.28 is a great scripture. I'm going to put that up. Joel 2.28, and let's read from verse 28 to 32. Joel 2.28. We'll start there. That's the Old Testament, Joel. There we go. Thank you. Those poor guys back there hustling with the, the mouse to trying to click the thing. You're doing a great job. And it shall come to pass afterward, which I can't help but preach on just for a second. After what? After prayer and fasting, rending your heart, not your garment, then this happens. That's what the afterward part is. It'll come to pass afterward that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall... Is anybody a son or a daughter up in the house of God tonight? Yes, everybody. You're all, you did, yes. You're all sons and daughters. Shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. If you do both, you're middle-aged. Prophecy's got to be judged if you look at 1 Corinthians 14, 29 and following. It talks about one prophesying and the other's judge. So if somebody's giving a prophetic word, should we judge it? Absolutely yes. 
I've, I've actually heard in some circles, not, not, not at ours, because we've been, we've been taught according to the word for many years, but I've been in other places that, no, 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 you can't. You just got to receive that. I'm sorry. I don't have to receive that. I got a word today. I don't receive it. It ain't God. Yeah, somebody giving me a word. I'm not receiving it. Amen. Don't worry. It wasn't any of you. I, I got a word. I'm like, that ain't God. No, thanks. <clears throat> flush. Come on, everybody just go flush. Flush. Yeah. I just flushed it. Thank you for sharing. I was gracious, but it wasn't God. It wasn't scriptural. I don't receive it. No, no, and no. But it does have to be judged. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophet. Prophets can be wrong. Did you know that? Now, the Old Testament, they get stoned. The New, New Testament, I, they can be wrong. What do you do when somebody's wrong? Well, is that a false prophet? Don't answer this question because I'm going to answer it for you. Because a lot of people don't know the answer. If they prophesy, they miss. I'll tell you where, I, where I've seen guys miss is this, or ladies. They see something, and then in their seeing, they interpret it, and their interpretation's off. They should have just shared what they saw, as opposed to if they weren't sure about to interpret it for that person. I've seen people miss specifically that way. Is that a false prophet? No. I'm gonna, let me tell you about it. False prophets are dangerous, because it doesn't necessarily mean that that they're prophesying words that are not true. The real dangerous false prophets actually prophesy very accurately, except they mix in stuff with it, and their doctrine and their lifestyle is not in agreement with the word. So even though they might have the gift to be able to prophesy, they're, they're, in other words, they got all kinds of business going on, extracurricular activities that are not in alignment with the word of God, or their doctrine's off. They run to Balaam's error. There's people that are hungry for money, but they have a prophetic gift, and they, they can do it for money. Did you know that? And when, if, you, if you've got that going on, that can cause you to end up being a false prophet. doesn't mean necessarily that you're bringing a false word. Let me give you an Old Testament example. Nathan says to, was Nathan a prophet? Great prophet. Says to, tells David about there's this man and he, he only had one lamb. And then there's this other man. He's got all kinds of lambs. And that one man that had all kinds stole the other one and then killed the guy. Who is this man? Show him. He says, you're the man. Thou art the man. And the issue with Bathsheba. Whoa. I mean, can you imagine the tension in the palace that day? Thou art the man, David. Yeah, David could have taken the prophet's head off. What boldness, what, what confidence, what anointing. Just not care about any man pleasing anything. Just drop the hammer. Loved it. Love it, love it, love it. Okay. But then later he tells David, David, he tells David, do all that's in your heart. Go ahead and build the temple of the Lord. And David's like, yes. And then as Nathan's later talking to God, God says, um, dude, I didn't say that. You go back and tell him he can't build it. So what about the first word? Was the first word a word from the Lord? No, it wasn't. It was, it was just Nathan giving a word to him. Yeah, go and do all this in your heart. Praise God. But then he gets the word of the Lord. was, You can't do it. There's blood on your hands. Your son's going to do it, and you're going to pay for it. Come on, all the sons say hallelujah. 
And so he does that. It's interesting also to note that a prophet's authority is limited. I've, I've seen some, I've not seen specifically, I've, I've heard some messes in churches and help to heal, bring healing in some of them. In other words, you have a, a, a prophet show up with a pastor on the front row and a congregation, and the prophet then comes and pulls somebody out and says, you are the new pastor of the church. And you are going to pass the baton, and you are going to fade, and you're going to turn it over to this guy. I just straight knock him out myself, personally. I just... <laughs> Boom! What was I don't know what that well, what happened? Usher, somebody's down. <laughs> he got ministered to by the fivefold, hallelujah. <laughs> Bam! What kind of spirit? Hallelujah! Everybody lift your <laughs> we just move the service on and carry him out the side door in the love of the Lord. I'm joking, except that's definitely what would happen spiritually. What would that look like? <laughs> well, prophet's authority is limited. It is limited, and it's, it needs to be under authority, and it's the right way to do things. We're to judge the prophetic word, but we're not supposed to be unbelieving. And I will tell you that America is filled with unbelieving believers. They want to believe the Word of God, but then they just limit it. They put a cap on it and say, well, that, that's impossible. How could this be? Well, by this time tomorrow, and in their mind, they shut it down. Their, their mind gets offended, and they shut it down, and they don't believe. And they don't move into all that God has for them. We're, we're to judge. We're not supposed to be unbelieving. Prophets are judged by their character, by their attitude, by their, by their faith, by their accuracy. Can I tell you a funny story? It was a long time ago. I was at a prophetic conference, and there was a man who was uh, prophesying in what we call a call-out rooms. And that, the call-out rooms, that came about during the 50s where they would take a group of people and move to a room, and then the, the man of God would uh, call out words of knowledge and flow and healing and that kind of thing. And that is what we're going to be doing uh, over the weekend. Except in this, instant, these, in this instance this weekend, we have these seasoned... Uh, guests they're really family they're very dear to us they're tested tried true they're not they're not novices they're not practicing they and and i mean all of us are growing in our gifts so they're growing it'll be even more uh more dynamic and powerful and more anointed than last year but they're going to come and bring forth the word of the lord in these rooms uh and so years ago many years ago probably i don't it's 18 years ago i was in a call out room with a man who was um I think he preached twice that day, and he's prophesying over about 100 people, one guy. Now, I don't know if you know what that takes, but that is, that really is very demanding. And any, any long-distance runners? <laughs> Wrong church, okay. <laughs> All right, uh. It's, I, I don't know how to describe it. That's the best way I know how to describe it. It's like if you're in a race, and it's like a 10-mile race, and, and you know, you're, you're like mile nine, nine and a half, nine and three quarters, and they're like, yeah, actually, we're going to throw on five more miles. You good with that? What? So he's prophesying over about 100 people, 
I'm with him the whole time. We're in there for two, three hours. He's, got, he's like down to the last 10 people. And, and you got to know, when you get down to the last 10 people, you're like, come on, Jesus. Hallelujah. And God's been moving. It's like revival, breakthrough revival. And the door opens to the room, and in come 25 or 30 more people being transferred from another place uh, because, well, they just needed to transfer them because another room had too many and so on and so forth. There's lots of logistics. And so in comes these 25 or 30 people, and I'm standing there looking at the 25 or 30 people going, oh, God have mercy, right? I'm not even the guy doing the prophesying. And the guy that's prophesying is all, and the Lord says, he just straight stops. He says, hold on. What's going on? And they said, oh, yeah, well, uh, we needed to bring these guys up. You need to prophesy. Oh, he says, oh, oh, no. Oh, no. And he was from Chicago. He was a brother from Chicago. And I will never, he said, oh, no, oh, no, 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 no. You don't want the word I'm going to give you right now. You don't want that word. I thought, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I think he got a little upset. I felt the Holy Ghost just sort of lift off the room, you know. Uh, Jim LaFoon came in right behind him. He said, oh, it's going to be okay, John. <laughs> and uh, we got through it. The spirit of prophecy is subject to the prophet. But I've seen, I've seen and heard about people being real angry. Not in our church. That was just a test, you know, for him. And he passed. And we prophesied. He prophesied over everybody that went great. But if somebody has a really bad attitude, I mean, they're, they're, they're short, they're angry, they're bitter. That's not somebody you want praying or prophesying over you. Can you say amen? Let me ask you this question. What are you doing this weekend that would be more important than hearing the word of the Lord for your life? You say, well, I'm working. Okay. Is it possible to get your shift changed? These are rhetorical questions, meaning you don't have to answer them. I challenge you. I'm not bringing up all these guests just so we can have a little patty cake for Jesus. We're bringing up to crack heaven wide open and have a watershed moment. We have many, many, many people that are registered for the conference. If you have not registered, I implore you, I plead with you, don't miss out. Now, I know that, listen, things happen. There's funerals. There's things you can't change. you got to work. Listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. Sometimes you can't shift things around. But just make sure it's not an issue of your heart. Make sure it's not, well, who needs to go to the stinking prophetic conference anyway? I told this story, I think, on Sunday morning. We had a lady um, years ago. It was in the islands, and um, she went to the ninth annual prophetic conference. At the ninth annual prophetic conference, I mean, she got every glazed donut, jelly-filled breakthrough you could ever imagine, right? And she later says to, um, says to us, I can't believe it. This is the ninth one. I've been here every year, but I just didn't feel like I should go. Now I went to this one. This could have happened for me nine years ago. I mean, she got healed. Her husband got healed. And she had a miracle breakthrough. And I've often thought to myself, and maybe if I could just 
Maybe if I could preach something to get people off the fence, if you're on it, so that your life can get changed. Say, does my life need to change? Well, you answer that question. Mine does. I've been at hard after God for over 20 years. I want more. I want, I'm, I still need breakthrough. Why don't we see some miracles? I can't wait to hear the word of the Lord over our church. I can't wait to hear what God's going to say over my children. And my, my, my. I mean, I prophesy over them anyway. But there's something about having a heart of expectancy that this could be the moment that you receive a word that by this time tomorrow, everything will be different. By this time tomorrow, everything can be different. Can you say amen? amen. Very simple message. Does anybody get anything from Jesus? Amen. Plug in. If you were able to be a part of it, do it. He said, I don't have any money. Well, believe God. Fill the thing out. Believe God. Pray. Stranger things have happened. I've filled out conference cards and found cash the next day. No, really, when I didn't have two pennies to rub together, I'd find cash. I'm going to get out at the post office and there's 20 bucks. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. And it's all a matter of faith. You believe God. All right? All right, good. So I think we got a whole bunch of conference cards out there, right? Do we? Good. If you haven't registered, I'd encourage you to be a part of that. I'm not going to preach long to you. I'm done. But I am going to prophesy over this couple right here. Is that okay? You all right? Hey, what's up? Pastor Daniel. Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Nice to meet you. Hi, Christy. Christy, when you were up there, are you guys married? Awesome. <laughs> I, I, I prayed for you up there, and I, I saw your hands. Can I see your hands one more time? I saw a number of burdens and things that you're carrying in your hands, and I saw God lifting every one of those off. And God is going to do some unique blessings in your marriage. He's already done wonderful things. You're very thankful. It's not like there's anything wrong. But I saw God really adding, like, the icing on the cake. And then on top of that, he's going to do some breakthrough in the area of relationships and family relationships, some extended family. I saw uh, God mending some fences and just some people coming. There's been uh, increased prayer and a, and a desire to see things healed up. I'm talking about your extended family. And the Lord's going to do that very thing. He heard your cry, and I saw you with your hands out. I saw this burden, things that you were carrying. At times, you were given to worry, and even like a wringing of your hands. It's going to be very different. You're going to be lifting your hands, and God's going to be doing marvelous things for your Lord. Bless this couple, I pray in Jesus' name. You receive that? Amen. Amen. Come on, somebody say praise God. Come on, let the word of the Lord be precious to you. Come on, say God. The word, the, Lord the word of the Lord is precious to me. Come on, lift your hands. Just let the Holy Spirit come. Hallelujah. Let him touch you right now. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We bless you. Forgive, forgive us. Forgive me at times when I've not been as excited or had a heart of anticipation for for you to speak to me and forgive us for where we've gotten busy at times and hustled about like Martha so concerned about the things of the world and time and tradition Lord let this weekend that we would come and sit before you 
to hear the word of the Lord as these men have been fasting and praying, carrying the word, what, what they have heard from you to preach and teach to us starting Friday night. I talked to Bishop Hooks. He's going to open us up on Friday night. I'm going to tell you what is going to be crazy, stupid, amazing. You do not want to miss it. All the evening sessions are open to the public. It's the daytime sessions you need to register for specifically. Come on, let, let, you, let your heart just begin to soar. Prepare yourself. Position yourself. Some of you ought to, ought to fast and pray. Come on, fast and pray and believe that, hey, man, this is going to be the breakthrough time. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, God. We position ourselves, Lord, with expectancy tonight. We look, Lord, to the start of Friday night. Saturday morning, Saturday night. Sunday morning, Sunday night. Monday morning, Monday night. Rip the roof off, oh God. Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Release your power in Alaska. Let there be a marvelous outpouring of your spirit. Signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth beneath. Oh God, do what you said that you're going to do. Lord, come and move in power. Let our lives, let our families never be the same. Let our church never be the same. We, Lord, with expectancy say, come, speak to us. Our hearts are open. We'll be forever changed. In Jesus' name. Come on, say amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're not right with God tonight, I want to give you an opportunity to be reconciled to Him. God sent His only Son to die on a cross for your sin and for mine. You're separated from God's plan for your life unless you repent, believe, and receive the finished work of His Son's death and resurrection on the cross. The gift of God is eternal life, and He gives it to all who believe on Him. Whosoever believeth on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. To as many as believed in him, the word says, he gave them the right, exousia, the authority to become children of God. He loves you, but you're separated from him if your sin remains. And the reason your sin remains is because you've not believed on him. Or, or maybe you need to repent and draw close tonight. Maybe, maybe, maybe you received Jesus years ago, but you know your heart's not right tonight. You drifted. He doesn't move. In him there is no shadow of change or turning. He's the same. So if you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or you want to make a recommitment tonight, would you just slip your hand up right now? God bless you. God bless you. Raise your hand high. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God, my goodness. God bless you all the way in the back. Over here, I see that hand. Thank you for your honesty. All the way over there, I see your hand. Can we all stand tonight? Service is just about through. Come on, let's pray. You want to receive Jesus for the first time? You're making a recommitment to him. I want you to pray this right out loud with me. And for those of you that are walking with the Lord, we'll just affirm your faith with us right out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place. Forgive me of all of my sin. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Wash me and cleanse me. And make me new.
Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray. Fill, touch, bless. Break every chain. Break every bondage. In the name of Jesus, release your power. Lord, to witness, to resist the enemy. Release your power, oh God, upon each and every one of us. That we would walk circumspectly knowing that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But we have power and authority with you as we live for you, covered in the precious blood. And Lord, we position our hearts tonight and then even tomorrow and Friday. You bring us back Friday night. Blow this place up, oh God, with your power and the word of the Lord to change circumstances to release the kingdom of God even as never before in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Pastor Alex, would you be sure to have a couple volunteers at the information desk for those that want to register? If you're not registered, get registering. Amen. We didn't preach long to you. We love you. Lord bless you. Keep you. Cause his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance towards you. Be gracious to you and give you peace. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Hey, if you can't stick around to register here, you can do it online. KCAlaska.com. Just follow all the instructions. God bless you. We'll see you Friday night. Praise God. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful, and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065, or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.